Welcome to the Exec MBA Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with John Dankel. John is a second-year student in our Executive MBA class of 2023, and he and I recently connected to talk more about his background, how he decided to pursue an MBA, what led him to Darden, his experience as an Executive MBA student, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with John Dangle. Well, John, welcome to the podcast. Brett, thank you so much for asking me to be here. I really appreciate it. And uh, any opportunity to talk with you is well worth it. I'm so excited for your class. Y'all are at the very end of the program. You just had your last weekend residency. It's just LR2 and graduation from here. How good does that feel? Uh, it, it's bittersweet. Uh, obviously, it's uh, it's been a long, long time, but it also feels so quick. Um, you know, we just finished up our, our last on-ground residency in D.C., and, you know, it's been a phenomenal 20 months. And, you know, I've taken this week to really kind of let that sink in and reflect on it. But really looking forward to our, our leadership residency in a few weeks down in Charlottesville and spending a solid week with our cohort. Well, how are you doing generally? Everything good? Yeah, I, I'm doing great. Um, you know, this has been an absolutely amazing program and just uh, just coming down to the, the end of it, I'm excited, but I'm also uh, just really taking the time to reflect on um, you know, the people I've met, the relationships I've developed, and uh, thinking about what's next. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you and, and your background. Let's set the scene a bit. Uh, so tell us who you are. Um, who are you? What do you do? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Jonathan Dengel. Um, I was originally born and raised in kind of uh, Detroit, Michigan, right outside Detroit, Michigan, um, which I currently live and work. I've uh, been kind of all over the country, but predominantly have worked in the Midwest. I uh, did a, a long time in Chicago, um, but for some reason, I can't seem to kind of get out of the Midwest, which is a good thing. Um, I currently work for a health insurance company. Um, I'm the CIO, COO um, for a uh, about an 80,000 live under management health insurance company based in Michigan. Um, prior to my current uh, company and position, I worked at a much larger health insurance company. And then prior to that, I worked for an office or a family office backed startup, as well as uh, did consulting for a while uh, with some of the larger firms. Well, what what led you to work in health insurance? How did you get interested in this particular line of work? You know, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, where I grew up and now live, uh, uh, some a friend's family actually started a health insurance company by buying a small Medicaid plan in Michigan that grew into the largest government-sponsored healthcare plan in the state of Michigan and Illinois. Um, they were growing rather quickly, and they were looking for someone um, with my background of management consulting, as well as process improvement, things of that nature. Um, I knew quite a few people that worked there, and for the longest time, kind of avoided going there, but uh, eventually had a conversation and liked the trajectory of the company, um, was able to come in at a really good time. Um, they were, like I said, growing rapidly, hiring rapidly, and they were having some issues that you know companies with that type of velocity often have. 
And so was able to step in at, a, a, you know, we were at that point already a three, $4 billion company, but still had the uh, mindset and overall attitude of a startup. Every day was, how can we do things better? How can we do things faster? It didn't feel like a very stale company, which is something that I'm often drawn to. And it, it was great. I got to see that company scale from, like I said, three to four billion to about eight billion before it was sold to a much larger public company based in uh, Florida that was then almost immediately then sold to a much larger national player. Uh, it, it, that um, so two acquisitions within uh, about a, a year and a half was quite a bit and went to a much smaller plan, which I'm enjoying now and enjoying scaling and doing the same type of activities again. So do you like that startup, you know, high growth, things are things are happening here uh, environment? Absolutely. Uh, you know, new problems each day. Nothing ever gets boring. Um, if I was to go into an organization that, you know, has the processes and everything laid out and the day is the same each day, that's not something that uh, I would find very enjoyable. I would get very, very bored uh, very, very quickly. So I like the ability of having to, uh, you know, think on your feet. Um, it's a different set of people that are kind of drawn to that, those type of industries and those type of problems. And um, both in my career in consulting as well as uh, other startups, I, I've just really enjoyed that. And I uh, enjoy the trajectory of my current company right now. Well, John, how did you get interested in pursuing an MBA? Uh, you know, Brett, I've always really wanted to get an MBA. Uh, it's always been a goal and desire of mine. Um, just the timing really never worked out. Um, I always had something something else either uh, personally come up or work-related, and I was like, this is not the time. And then um, finally some stuff cleared up, and I was able to uh, uh, kind of really think about it. And I was like, this is, if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. And uh, just, you know, started really kind of looking at programs and obviously Darden came, was on my watch list, but really started to dig into, you know, um, what are the, the the core values and the process of learning at Darden. And what about the Darden experience resonated with you? I'm thinking about you in Detroit, looking at the executive MBA program, I'm sure you think about time and commuting and all these kinds of things. So uh, what about, what about Darden resonated? Yeah, I often tell people um, that, I, that I fly in from Michigan and they're like, oh, my God, that must be a long flight. It's actually, you know, door to door. Uh, I, I can it's about two hours. So the flight's usually 50 minutes. Um, the commute is not that bad. Um, and for me, what it came down to was, you know, a, a really top tier um, MBA program, which obviously Darden checked the box on that. Um, highly rated top professors, which obviously Darden checks the box on that. And they routinely are known for having the best um, professors, both from an academic perspective, as well as teaching perspective, as well as just generally wonderful, nice people. And I think that's the biggest thing that I found through this entire process is Darden and the Darden community, as well as UVA, um, just has an amazing culture of inclusion, as well as a culture of just kindness. Um, that doesn't mean we don't challenge people as well as uh, uh, push back, but it's all done from a, a place of caring and a place of growth, um, which I just didn't find with some of my time uh, researching and doing due diligence on other programs. Um, 
for me, being a Midwesterner and having a lot of Midwestern network, I was looking to expand that. That's why some of the, you know, you could think about the typical schools that would be in the Midwest weren't necessarily um, on my top list because I was looking for something else. And then, you know, one of the key things I, I challenged each um, school to really provide me with a list of uh, alumni and students that are interested in things that I'm interested in. And um, I, I would say Darden came back within 24 hours of a list of three to four people within those areas. I reached out and they were just so positive and bullish on the program and other schools weren't able to do that. So I think that was a huge differentiator. And then finally, it was you brought, I mean, we had a lot of conversations before and, you know, I, I think a lot of people that have, you know, particularly in my class, um, just the, the connection that we made and you, you just, it just felt right. I appreciate that. It's interesting to me when we talk to people about why Darden, you know, there's, there's typically, there's a structure to it, right? It, it, some more objective things uh, that come into play as they were thinking about their MBA options. But at the end of the day, push comes to shove, there is that sentimental aspect. You know, this felt like the place I should be. I, I really connected with the people here. I, I met people uh, who were either gonna be in my class or alums or current students. And I just, it just felt right to me. And I appreciate your mentioning that because I think sometimes people try to intellectualize it so much that you forget that like, there's a vibe element to this too. I don't know how else to describe it. I, I would 100% agree with you. I think it came down to, I, I did get accepted in other programs and was weighing them. And, you know, it just, the Darden decision felt right in my gut. And, uh, you know, I know we, we go through, you know, anyone who is listening, who's a prospective student, you'll get a lot of uh, uh, data analytic and uh, truly kind of uh, quant-based decisions, but it comes down sometimes to decision to, you know, does this feel right? Um, and the Darden decision just felt right. So you come to Darden, you're, you're a brand new executive MBA student navigating the first year of the program. Uh, what was the adjustment process to work, life, and school all at the same time like? It was a lot. So um, I was pretty good with uh, time management, but it's something that if you're not good, you will become very good. There, you know, not to sugarcoat it, there is a lot of cases to prep for. And we can get into kind of the whole case method, but you will learn how to uh, appropriately manage your schedule and manage your time. Um, you know, I have a really kind of flexible family life, so I was able to uh, consume some weekend time as well. But you'll also learn, and we can get into this a little bit later too, of you'll uh, learn that you'll have, you're not going to be able to do everything. You're not going to be able to do all the case prep and you need to rely on, uh, at first, your learning team. And then other people in the program who can help uh, help you prepare for class appropriately. Well, I'm always curious to hear how students have managed their time or what their general approach to managing their schoolwork is. Would you mind sharing a little bit about how you've operated uh, during the program, or at least early on? Sure. Yeah. Early on, um, you know, what I did was first and foremost pick one day of the week where I didn't do any schoolwork. Um, and block that out. And, and I was very, uh, I, I tried to be very much um, focused on that. Uh, and uh, also, you know, try to not leave everything to the last few days before OGR. So um, your on-ground weekends, I mean, sometimes you're pre preparing between 12 and 15 cases with a lot of different models. 
you really, you can't leave it to the last minute. So as a learning team, what we did was kind of go in and divide it appropriately and then come together a few days before OGR, um, typically on Wednesdays and Tuesdays, and just review the cases, bring other people up to speed and rely on the skills and uh, strengths of people in our learning team. Um, as we went into year two, that changed a little bit because uh, you know we had electives at that point and my learning team kind of divided into, you know, poets who were taking other other type of uh, electives, as well as kind of the quant finance people who were mostly focused on finance at that point. And again, you come together, you know the people at that point, and you kind of develop your own uh, updated learning teams and do the same thing. So I would say just uh, with me, I, again, just really took the time to uh, plot it out and not leave everything to the last minute. And realize, I realized very quickly, you're just not going to get to everything. And much like in business, you, you're just not going to be able to do all the research you want to do. Sometimes you just have to move forward with the, the the information you have to make a decision. So what was the day that you blocked out? This is a day I'm not going to do any schoolwork. For me, it was Sunday. For me, it was Sunday. And I would say the, the first kind of quarter or two, I wasn't at. I, I started to kind of encroach on that and I realized that it was really affecting me mentally and affecting my relationship. And I was like, nope, I, I need some time to actually adjust and do my uh, do my own thing on the side. Just go for a walk, go for a bike ride uh, if it wasn't, you know, snowing outside and, you know, 10 below and, and just spend time just doing things uh, outside of Darden and outside of learning team and outside of cases. I'm just going to stick with this sort of time management uh, conversation just for a little bit longer, John. I'm, I'm curious, did you do a little bit every day or did you kind of work on a, you know, do a few hours this night, a few hours that night? I'm, I'm curious. I'm always fascinated to hear how students approach managing the workload. Yeah, I, I tried to take the approach of, uh, uh, you know, really dividing the cases over the amount of time I had and kind of evenly spreading them. If I was able, let's say it was a short case or there wasn't a, an associated tech note with it and something of that nature, and I was kind of able to move through a little bit faster, I, I would add more cases just so I could create more time in the back end. But that was my approach and it seemed to work pretty good. Um, I'm not the type of person who's, you know, really good at night. Some, some of my classmates, you know, they were up rather late or up rather early. So with me, it was just being very kind of open and honest with work of like, I'm available and going to be working from, you know, this time to this time. But outside of those hours, I really have to focus on school and, you know, really focusing on that. So, uh, you know, typically I'd work till perhaps 530 and then have 530 to seven, sometimes before classes to prep on upcoming classes and things of that nature. So. How quickly did you realize or did the members of your learning team realize that y'all would have to work together to be able to manage uh, the workload? Was that did you start off by doing a lot by yourself and then kind of folding the learning team or were you always engaged with the learning team? You'll learn probably three days into Q1 that you need to rely on your uh, your learning team. Um, you'll also, I think, realize not to print out everything very quickly. We had an individual on our, I think a few individuals on our learning team who showed up to, I think, LR1 with everything printed out. And I think they developed kind of back issues from carrying all that material around. Same with uh, for OGRs. I mean, you really have to um, 
you know, you, you'll you'll test and kind of refine your process. And I was still doing it up into kind of this quarter, just uh, constantly improving and trying to get better of how you approach things and how you um, uh, read, prep, and and document and reflect from the classes. So I think it's it's different for everyone. Some people did mind maps and things of that nature. Some people, uh, you know moved everything to iPads and did things completely electronic. And there were a few people who were still like handwriting notes. Yeah, everybody finds their own lane. Uh, whatever you think is going to help you learn. I think that's one of the hardest things. You come into graduate business education, your new MBA student. Obviously, you've been working for a while. You're in this program. You're coming to school. But yet it's a new experience learning through the case method and how to do all this while working with a lot going on in your life. And you know, you have to be open to the fact that this is going to continue. You're going to get better at this. Like learning is also a skill. You're going to improve, but you also um, have to get comfortable with something. I want to come back to something you mentioned, but not being able to get to everything, um, not being able to do everything 100%. Um, did you or, or embrace that early on? Was that a process of getting to that point? I'm curious. Uh, I think I embraced it rather quickly, just understanding how much work um you know, I, I think we had one of the first classes in Q1. I spent probably three, three and a half hours on a model. And there were many other models to get through for that weekend. And I was like, we can't, this is not going to work. So, you know, what I would often then do in a lot of people in my cohort would do the same thing is, all right, I'm going to work on this for 45 minutes or an hour and take it to as far as I can get. And if I can't get it, you know, you're not going to get necessarily the, the right answer, the correct answer, but kind of can I get it further and understand it enough to have a valuable conversation and add something during class discussions? I think that's a, a good kind of um, hurdle to strive for and kind of a um, destination to try to go for. I think, you know, there were some people within our class who were actually, you know, phenomenal with different models and able to uh, it, it just still shocks me. And I think I'm I'm all right at Excel, but some people were just far, far better. And it's uh, we find out who those people are and we, you know, their names get spread around pretty quickly and people uh, like to bring it up. But for someone who's not, um, you know, a natural uh, quant or kind of a, a model builder, I would say really kind of, you know, pick a time or picks a goal to get to and you know, work up into that. And then at that point, just close it down because some of these things you can spend all night kind of working on and it just, the returns just diminish over time. I appreciate that point. I think one of the premises of time management is that oftentimes tasks will conform to the amount of time that you give them. So if you say, I got an hour, um, you might be able to get as far uh, as you would if you said, well, I'm just going to work on this this evening. Um, because next thing you know, you're watching TV for a little while, you're coming back to it, you're going to get a snack, you're doing all kinds of things. So you get an hour, um, start working more efficiently, you know, a bit more dialed in uh, when you're going through the material. Yeah, absolutely. I know, you know, some of my classmates, they're um, one, because of the type of business they, they're in, they can't work during the day. But, you know, I have some availability. If I have 20 minutes, I'll try to start prepping on a class, like still in Q10 right now. And you know, I took lunch to kind of prep for a case that we're going to be discussing tonight. So I didn't have uh, time because we're coming off OGR and those Mondays are typically trying to dig out of work emails and kind of unpack the, the day. So you'll come up with and you'll understand what works for you. 
Well, Darden is a case method school and a lot of prospective students, they hear that and they wonder, okay, that sounds interesting, but what does it exactly mean? And so um, maybe you've had this conversation with some of your colleagues or friends who said, hey, how's Darden? What do you do there? And say, oh, we talk about cases. And, uh, and they're like, what's that? So how do you explain the case method to people who may not know as much about it? Uh, well, I first start with, you know, you have to be ready for class is the number one thing. So understanding that, you know, I, I think the cold call is uh, something that definitely exists and, you know, something that uh, not to be afraid of, but be just, you know, be ready because you want to be able to constantly add and be valuable. Um, just like on any team in a work environment, you want to not be a drag on the team. Same thing in class. Um, so, you know, the expectation is everyone is appropriately uh, prepped for class, which I think the case method really drives. But really what it is, is, you know, a series of questions. You're putting yourself in a protagonist kind of perspective, and uh, you're trying to solve the problem as if you were this individual, which I think is incredibly valuable. I also think that um, based on the executive program, we're all somewhat experienced. Um, sitting for 90 minutes lis lis listening to a lecture. I think most of us would um, at some point during the weekend, particularly on Sundays, probably be falling asleep. So, um, you know, it keeps you engaged. It keeps you driven. And the, the best thing about the case method is really hearing from everyone else in your class, their perspectives and learning and driving and sometimes pivoting to interesting new places that you typically uh, would not expect the case to go to. I think that the other thing is the professors are really there just as a kind of conductor, um, taking it in certain, you know, some professors like to take it to a certain direction. Others are very more open and let the kind of class evolve to where they want to take the discussion, depending on what the topic is. And so I think the, the, the depth that you go within these discussions are much deeper than if someone was just lecturing you on a, a discounted cash flow method that, again, the uh, the eyelids would just droop down and people people would be asleep at by the end of the class. Yeah, the thing that I, I consistently hear from, from students is that it does keep you engaged uh, with the materials. So you're where you started uh, with your point. Uh, the expectation is that students are ready and prepared uh, to contribute in class. It's part of the social contract here at, at Darden. And I do think that makes a big difference, the intentions of the people in the class. You know that everybody uh, who chose this program chose it to be an active participant in their learning experience. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, like, uh, you know, as you're looking for, in all groups, there's some people who are a little bit more active than others, but we all support each other. Um, if someone there, there's no, you know, if someone doesn't know the answer, if someone's struggling to get their point out, it, it all comes from, again, a, a perspective of growth and support. So there's never um, there's never a moment where you'll feel because you don't know the answer, your model's not correct that, um, you know, there's there should be no fear of that. You you as a participant within this program and within the cohort, you should really feel that it is a place of psychological safety that you can um, just get your point out or perhaps ask a question, even though the professors always do deserve or reserve the right to uh, be the only people asking the questions. You can still ask a question if you want to you want to bring it up. Well, how's second year been? Uh, first year is core in the executive MBA program. And then as noted, 
uh, in the second year, uh, you move into electives. How has this year gone for you? Uh, it's been great. Um, I, I think the electives are, are pretty rich. I think we're always uh, providing feedback to the administrative team of uh, different electives we'd like to see, but they are really rich, really great. Um, and it's it's really, you can move into whatever direction you want. We have, you know, they're really divided into a lot of finance classes, M&A classes. I definitely took a more kind of financial approach um this quarter venture capital leadership was phenomenal the the speakers that were coming in were just um just absolutely uh phenomenal um i think that uh you really get to focus on what you are interested in and again just really taking what you've learned in the core classes as well as year one and really refining and becoming better at those skills um i'd also say like you know you can enter into things like the global consulting projects and independent studies as, as well as I'm a member of the Darden Executive Fund, which is considered an independent study. So really managing uh, real money, doing bottom up stock analysis and pitching and uh, actually with real money on the line, which is a great opportunity, particularly as an executive student. Um, it's, it's, it's just as you move into year two, it's you can do whatever you want. And um, it also is a nice opportunity to kind of step back based on how you've designed your courses to have a little bit more time to focus on kind of core uh, classes that you want to focus on. So you don't necessarily have to have uh, a full load during the OGR weekend. One of the things that has really struck me, I've been with the executive MBA program now uh, working. I started off by working with the executive MBA program. I, I work with exec part-time MSBA now. Uh, but as I think about the executive MBA program, I mean, there's now for typical executive MBA class, uh, your class, there's over 40 electives offered during that elective period, which is a lot of choice. And when I first got here, there were not, there were not that many electives and it's grown and grown to the point where now students take 12 electives. And the interesting, cool thing about the executive MBA program is we actually have students that end up taking more than 60 credits, right? They might add on another elective. They might go on additional global residency. That's that's something that has, it seems to have caught on uh, recently with executive MBA students adding another class or two, working beyond the actual 60 credits required for graduation. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those uh, people. I think I, I'm probably going to uh, end, end Darden with kind of the highest number of credits, um, and you do have to kind of talk with the administrative group and admissions to uh, get some waivers for that. But everybody's supportive if you can handle the caseload. But I, I would say if you're going to attend the global residencies, which uh, I, I think uh, what I've heard in terms of regrets from a lot of people is I should have done more of those. Or I wish I had the opportunity to do more. And I would say even myself, I wish I would have done more, but um, I couldn't as well as uh, things like week-long courses. So I did a week-long DC life cycle course where we went, met and, um, went and met with uh, different companies from early pre-seed, kind of just after friends and family, all the way to kind of uh, series C, uh, a lot of money, a lot of heavy hitter uh, VC firms behind that, and kind of got to see the ecosystem of uh, VC and early stage development um, within um, kind of the, the DC area, which was great. 
as well as a whole host of other kind of week-long um, courses as well. So you can really, really add up the classes quickly. And then again, uh, sort of limit what you're doing in OGR weekends to just core courses or time to work on your own business idea, which a lot of my cohort is doing. You know, there's there's a few different um, people around who are really developing a, a business idea right now and, you know, trying to find money to actually fund it and move it forward, which is amazing to see. Yeah, we've had students use the independent study, which you referenced previously, uh, as a way to kind of work on a business plan, develop a business idea, work closely with a faculty member on it. it that's always, it's a growing, a growing, I guess, elective uh, option at first for executive MBA students, an increasingly popular one uh, as students um, have gone through the program in, in the recent years. It, it's been impressive to see the proliferation of the independent studies. So um, where did you go on your global residency? I'm curious. Uh, yeah, one other thing to add just to the last point that it is one of my regrets that I didn't do, but a lot of my cohort and just for people thinking about this program is um, a few people actually wrote cases with professors, which I, I thought that's a great way to kind of add to the overall learning uh, of the community, as well as um, just a really cool experience that I wish I had an opportunity to do um, that, you know, is a whole a whole uh, another independent study option that uh, people um, should definitely take advantage of if they come to Darwin. Um, for me, I went on uh, three global residencies. So I did a virtual China global residency, which was in the morning for a week, which was phenomenal. It was done really good. It, it made for long weeks, but um, we uh, met with typically two to three different companies starting about 7 a.m. Eastern, going to about, I think, 1030 Monday through Friday. But it was a really good way to uh, deep dive into China, particularly kind of with they still have the COVID restrictions and things of that nature. Um, I also went to Korea, which was another kind of uh, permutation because of COVID as well. So originally it was supposed to be to Japan, but uh, Japan was still closed down. So we quickly pivoted to Korea, which was a, a great opportunity to see both uh, Seoul and Busan, um, an area that I never really had a um, uh, it, it wasn't on my short list of countries to go to, but I'm uh, so incredibly glad I went. It was so interesting and unique. And then the final one was uh, uh, Morocco, um, which I just got back uh, about a month ago. Um, another first time that uh, Darden's gone to Morocco, we were actually the plank owners in terms of first class there. Then I think it was the executive class of 24 and then the full time program. So, you know, working out the kinks, but uh, opportunities to kind of really uh, see some interesting uh, countries, some countries that, you know, not the typical of European countries or other areas. So the, the host of global options are great. I would um, definitely say, you know, some people went to Spain, some people went to Germany. Australia uh, was probably the one I wish I would have gone on, but I didn't have a lot of uh, the people who went, took uh, a good amount of time off in December, and I couldn't take the, the whole month off or three weeks off to, to go to Australia. But um, the, the feedback, both from a professor perspective as well as a student perspective, was just phenomenal. Yeah, there are a lot of choices, as you note, um, potentially up to 12 global residency locations for an executive MBA class. The number of actual trips depends a bit on student demand, uh, how many students are interested in, in what trips. 
probably need at least 20 or so students to travel on a global residency. Um, but it's been great seeing the pictures um, on LinkedIn and uh, Morocco and Spain and Vietnam, Australia. We have here in our space, Sands Family Grounds, a, a video from the Australia trip that plays on a loop. And so I didn't go on that trip, but I kind of feel like I've been uh, to Australia on that global residency just because I've seen this video probably about 100 times uh, at, this, at this point. But it looked like everybody had a great time. And yeah, Australia, the feedback was phenomenal. You know, they, they had a great time. And uh, Shane, the professor who led the program, um, just a phenomenal person. Just the the feedback that I got, and again, I wasn't on the trip, but just uh, he is uh, Australian and just really wanting people to connect and understand his country and culture. And again, you really get the community that is Darden. Uh, there's no... Uh, not really a separation between professors and students. It's just a mutual respect, which is phenomenal to see. And, uh, um, you know, I, I think there's talk of, as an alumni, kind of tagging along on some of these trips. So hopefully uh, we can make we can make that happen because I heard there's uh, going to be an upcoming trip with one of our favorite professors to Italy. And I think a lot of people are interested in going on that. Well, I wonder if you have a favorite memory uh, from the program. John, anything that, that stands out for you? Uh, I think I, I kind of wrote down two, two items. One, we talked about global residencies and I think why they are so important, I would encourage everyone to go on them is it's, we're so busy during on grounds that it's really difficult to connect with people who are not necessarily in your class or your learning team and carve out time. Uh, you're just kind of moving, it's very, uh, compact and you have to kind of stay on program. And during global residencies, you like you said, we, we typically have over 20 people, sometimes much more. And you, you get to just understand and spend time and kind of breathe and create new experiences with people who you wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity throughout the throughout uh, on-ground residencies. The other for me is really uh, my learning team. We we did a learning team dinner each OGR. So we came together, what, 20 times? And we had an amazing uh, learning team dinner each time, typically on Fridays. Um, and then, I mean, we had, I think we didn't miss an OGR. There were some conflicts with certain people missing one or two, but um, it was just something that I'll look back at and just be very um, um, fond of. And it just brings amazing memories of just really getting to know my learning team, really getting to know each other and just having that time to look forward to each week going or each OGR going into it and just uh, just really exploring the culinary scene of uh, DC, which was phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it kind of got out to other learning teams and there was some a little jealousy of trying to get invited to these dinners because sometimes we'd open them up for other people. So it was just a, a phenomenal time. Well, I wonder, John, when you reflect on the almost 20 months that you've been in, in the program at this point, um, what's been the impact of your time here at Darden? Um, so much more impactful than I thought it would be. Um, you know, of course, you're going to get the core skill set of an MBA. You're going to learn how to do a you know D DCF model and value a company and learn all these other frameworks and how to approach difficult conversations. But, um, you know, I, I think for me, it really comes down to, you know, just 
really all the time we we spent reflecting and kind of becoming a much more that we call second level thinker, as well as um, you know, just it, it really was transformative in terms of just becoming a better person, just understanding where I want to go, understanding where people in my cohort want to go, how we can help each other. Something that you know we brought up is you know always asking how can I help you? How can I help you uh, achieve your goals? What do you need from me? As well as for me personally, just um, just becoming a better person and human. I would say a better people leader, uh, a better friend, and a you know person of a community and family. Just trying to reflect and you know become a better version of me, John 2.0, I guess. Did you expect all that personal growth and development when you started off on this MBA journey? Not at all in business school. I, <laughs> um, I think that's something that, again, is specific to Darden, um, you know, besides, you know, the first business program that had ethics uh, as a, a core requirement and course, um, you know, people, I think you go to business school and I think there's some other business schools that will come to people's mind of, you know, it's, it's pretty cutthroat, you know, it's all about the numbers. It's all about uh, revenue generation and profit maximization. And I would say the Darden program is definitely not about that. It's, it's, it's about profitability and driving those things, but much more of uh, the community and how you can uh, do better for everybody involved um, and thinking of different ways to do that, both um, as a business operator, as a person in the community, as a, uh, you know, a friend and family of people just becoming a better version of you for all of those different stakeholders. Well, John, I'm wondering, what are you looking forward to in, in the months to come? Uh, in the months to come, it's really kind of finishing up Q10 right now. So I have a five-page paper that's due later, later this week that I do have time scheduled this week to get to. Um, really looking forward to uh, our last uh, a week together down in Charlottesville. And then um, for me, you know, it, it's getting some time back as well as kind of focusing on some concerts. So uh, I'm trying to get tickets to the uh, Dead & Co. show at Cornell. Um, it's their anniversary of that show. So I'm looking forward to that. I will be going to a lot of other concerts too. I'm going to try to go out to the Hollywood Bowl and see Willie Nelson's 90th birthday show, and then uh, a few other things. And then the one thing I forgot to mention, because I'm a part of the Darden Executive Fund, we are going to go out to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting and meet a bunch of uh, both Darden alumni and a lot of other people. So it's a, it's a great event that uh, DEF, as well as uh, the Mayo Center puts on. So that that's coming up in May as well. And then uh, just taking some time to just not read cases and enjoy kind of the things that I've put off during the, the 22 months that I'll, I will have been in this program. The Dead & Co. show, Barton Hall, legendary. It's actually a recording that's in the Library of Congress. Uh, I trust that you knew that, that, John, that this is one of the rare live performances that's been there for all, you know, put into the vaults for, for all time. So it's a lottery. Are You think you're going to get tickets? You think it's going to work out? I'm leveraging my network hard to get there. So, and willing to spend a preposterous amount of money as well. So um, yeah, there, there's another classmate. We, we actually did have a small group uh, go to Dead & Co last summer when they were in Virginia. So 
we may have been it may have been a little rougher Sunday Sunday morning, but uh, it was well worth it for the bonding and network experience. But uh, there is there is talk to go, so I'm really looking forward to that. And you know, we got bands like The Cure and Postal Service kind of touring as well, which I'm I'm excited to see. But I think that would be a great capstone. So Brad, if you have any insight into or connections to the Cornell uh, uh, community, please help me or anyone listening to this podcast. Uh, please help. Would you say that you need a miracle? Is that how you would define it? I would say I need a miracle. <laughs> All right. Well, last question here for you, John. Um, piece of advice, something that you would encourage uh, our listeners to consider as they consider their own MBA journeys. Uh, I would say definitely consider Darden. You will become a, a, a much better business operator, much better thinker, as well as a better person, which I think is the full package. And I would say, again, the community is phenomenal. There really is a, a kind of a policy, both at the professor as well as student of being a, a kind of only accepting good people. Um, sometimes you say it in a little bit more colorful words, but uh, I, I think that you know, there's not going to be a great, a perfect time to apply for your executive MBA. Um, you're always going to have competing priorities, but, um, you know, you're only pushing it off and it's better just to just dive in because you will get through it. Everyone will, everyone uh, is capable of getting through if you're accepted. There's, you know, I think you at the beginning of our LR1 were on stage besides giving an absolutely phenomenal overview of our class, the class of 23, just saying, you know, everybody kind of felt we all had imposter syndrome being in that hall, but you did a really good job of just kind of saying, we all belong here. We're here for a reason. Uh, you didn't slip in or sneak in. You didn't get the invitation by mistake. Um, everybody has the skills if you're accepted in the program to get through it. And I would just say, apply, have a conversation with Brad, have a conversation with other students and alumni because it's a really uh, phenomenal community, and a really caring community, and uh, someone I'm happy to, you know, in two months to say uh, I'm a part of. So, well, John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And uh, we will we will wait further details on if you make it into that Barton Hall show. I guess it's coming up. The anniversary is May eighth, so uh, not too 8th, not too so. long from now. Everybody, I, they can reach me on my Darden email. So, or just reach out to Brad. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. And so looking forward to LR2 with your class. Uh, we are incredibly happy to have you there, Brad. And thank you. Looking forward to it myself. And that was my interview with John Dangle, a second year student in our executive MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at exec, that's E-X-E-C, MBA at darden.virginia.edu. Till next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.